Well, good morning. We are so grateful that you are here with us today, worshiping in the house of the Lord at First Presbyterian Church. It is always a joy to be in the house of the Lord on the Lord's day. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Mark chapter 2 in your pew Bibles. That's page 1553, 1553. I'll give you a moment to turn there. And when we come to this portion of worship, this time of worship, we hold that the Word of God is central to our worship time. And so we approach it with humility. We approach it in awe that the God of the universe would speak to us, his covenant people, the covenant community of the church. Isaiah chapter 40 says, though the tree withers and the flower fades, the word of the Lord endures forever. And so we know this is God's timeless word that it applies to all points in history, every culture, every place, every person, every situation in life that God speaks to. And so as we come to it, let us go before him in prayer now. Bow with me. God of very gods, Lord of lords, we thank you that you would speak to your people, that you have communicated to us that all that is necessary for a right relationship with you and holy living has been revealed to us through the scriptures. And so, Lord, this morning we come humbly. Knowing your word does not return void, we ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to us in these moments. Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would transform us, draw us nearer to you, so that we might then go out and transform the heart of the city as you have called your people to, Lord. Bless this time, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, we are going to be in Mark chapter 2, and Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels by several chapters. There is no birth narrative of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Mark really jumps right into the adult ministry that Jesus has beginning in Galilee. Mark opens up with Jesus coming to be baptized by John the Baptist. He goes then into 40 days in the wilderness to be tempted, and then after that, he is really proverbially off to the races with his ministry. And so we are going to pick up in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, and this is what it says. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him or get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. 
he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Today I want to talk to you briefly about authority. Authority is defined as the right or ability or the power to create rules and enforce obedience. Authority is the right or power to create rules and enforce obedience. So this past week, we celebrated the birthday of our great nation, and we the people have instilled in our government a certain degree of authority, right? So the United States government can set law, they can pass legislation, and they can tell us how fast we can go down the highway. They can tell us how much we owe for our taxable income. They can tell us various laws and they have authority to do these things. And if we break those laws, if we transgress those laws, they then have the authority to enforce them. There are under that various levels of authority. So many of you have employers. Your employer can tell you your work hours. They can tell you your work tasks. They can tell you where your office is and where you need to be and when you need to be there and what project you need to be working on and here's the keys to climbing the corporate ladder and this is how this works. Or maybe some of you are the employer and you have that authority to tell your employees about that. For parents, I hope and pray you have authority in your home, but your child should be listening to you. You should have the authority in your home. And many of us exist in social structures where we are both under and possess varying degrees of authority. My authority, though, is limited. So, for example, um, the pastors here at First Presbyterian Church, when Richard assigns us to, we get up and preach. We have that authority. It would be odd if a congregant donned a Genevan gown, came up and started preaching. I wouldn't put it past some of you, but it would be odd. My authority is limited, though. I cannot then go into my wife's office and start prescribing her patient's medication. I don't have that authority. Authority becomes very tricky, though, when someone exercises it outside of their realm of authority. I used to have a classic sports car, got rid of it, um, but I would drive it around town, and one day I was heading from work to home, and I needed to stop at the grocery store to get some dinner. It was a convertible car. We never locked the doors, anything like that. So I was gone for maybe 15 minutes, if that, came back. I had my groceries, and to my utter shock, there were two young ladies. One was sitting in the driver's seat of my car, and the other one was taking pictures for Instagram. I was baffled. I, I honestly could not come up with words. And so all I said was, you can't do that. And that's all I said. I was like, I don't know what to do. Can't do that. You are trespassing one, but this is not an area of influence or authority that you, you can't do that. Today, when we come to Mark chapter two, we see Jesus going back and forth a bit with some teachers of the law who thought Jesus they thought Jesus was practicing authority outside of his realm. Let's dig into it. 
Mark chapter two, verse one, it says this. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum. So let's just talk. Jesus, at the start of his ministry, was ministering all through the region of Galilee. He was traveling to small villages. He was preaching and teaching. He was casting out demons. He was healing people. He was doing incredible works. And he was attracting large, very large crowds at the time. Jesus would um, fairly regularly pop into Capernaum, which is a northern Israel small fishing village. It had a tax center, a Roman garrison there. Um, It was a um, blossoming city, and Jesus would minister out of the home of Peter. It was kind of his headquarters, his resting place. He would kick his feet up and relax a little bit when he got there. On this specific occasion, when he got back to Capernaum, everyone heard that he was there, and what people always do with Jesus, they flock to him. People came to Jesus in droves. Jesus was a rabbi. People loved at that time to hear rabbis teach and preach. They would sit at their feet and listen to them for hours. Rabbis would teach anywhere from four to eight hours. If I go longer than 25 minutes, I know some of you will send me emails. Okay? So Jesus is preaching and teaching. He goes to Capernaum. He is preaching... probably in the home of Peter. And the homes at that time were called insulas. They were these square boxes made out of clay and sticks and things of that nature. And they would have a main entrance and then either on the side or the back of the building would be a staircase that led to a flat roof. People were pressing in to hear Jesus. This happens often in Luke chapter 15. We learn that even the tax collectors and sinners press in to hear him. When the gospel is being proclaimed, when the word of God is proclaimed, people will press in to hear it. In fact, in Mark 1.38, Jesus says, this is why I have come, to preach the word of the Lord. And so Jesus is preaching and teaching. People would be sitting at his feet and they would be packed in to this insula. Probably fit several dozen people. And I want you to picture what's going on here. It's men and women, people of various ages, people with various sicknesses, illnesses, infirmities would be pressing in. The teachers of the law would be pressing in to try and catch him slipping up, saying something incorrect. There was no air conditioning It was murmuring, it was hot, there was probably an odor, probably smelled a lot like vacation Bible school. (laughs) Just a lot going on. And then we read this, verse three. Some men came, bringing to him, Jesus, a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. So there's at least four friends carrying a man who is paralyzed. Let's stop right there. We, We don't know the nature of this man's paralysis. This could be something that he has um, had ever since he was born. It could be due to an injury at some point in his life. It could be neck down. It could be waist down. We, We simply do not know. Any guessing is just conjecture. But here's what we do know. This man has been relegated to a mat for some stretch of his life. And day by day, he has a constant reminder of living in the reality of a fallen world. Can you picture yourself? Can can you put yourself in this man's shoes for a moment? Why me? Why would a good God allow this to happen to me? 
This has been perpetual hurt in my life. Can you think of the devaluation this man must have had for himself? I'm not worth anything. I'm a burden to people. People have to bring me food. They have to carry me places. I'm not able to do these things. What could have been? If I didn't suffer from this injury, what would I have done? What, what, what would my career have looked like? What would I have provided? Question after question after question. And the reality that we face today is that many of us are hurting as well, right? Many of us are wrestling with the hurts of life. Many of us have pain and scars from walking through this world and being victim to the circumstances of either our own actions or simply life occurring. Many of us have physical limitations that we can't walk with our grandchildren anymore because our body aches too badly. We can't do that hobby that once gave us life and vitality and we looked forward to doing it every evening or every morning because we simply don't have the dexterity for it anymore. Or maybe we're always defensive because our marriage is so full of strife that we don't know when the next argument is going to occur. Or maybe we've lost a loved one. Many of us have um, mental struggles that put us in cycles of depression and anxiety and we think, why me? Why does this always happen? Why can't I just be normal? Why do I have to suffer in these ways? And this man was living in the reality of that hard world. Three, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him or could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. The men come up to the front door carrying their friend. They see that it is crowded. They couldn't get in. What they don't do is throw up their hands and go, we did our best. We gave it the good old college try. Let's just pack it in, turn around, go home, maybe next time. Instead, they went up the stairs. They set their friend down and they started digging. Mind you, Jesus is teaching right below them. Roofs are expensive. And they begin digging and digging and digging. And at some point, rubble has to start falling. At some point, a hole has to open up. Attention starts going upward. People are looking. Every commentary that I read said this would not be minutes of work. This would be hours of work. So here's what I want to say to you. You need to surround yourself with a community of people who will stop at nothing to get you closer to Jesus. I'm gonna say that again. You need to get you some friends that will stop at nothing to get you closer to Jesus. Okay, we, we have been sold this Western idea that our faith is private and it's just me and Jesus. That is such an 
alien concept to the scriptures, completely foreign. Your faith is best worked out when it is vertical and horizontal, when it is done in the context of the covenant community. You need to be in missional community in Sunday Life Group, in Reengage, in Radiance, in Men's Faith Fellowship and Fun Groups. You need to be in some sort of community because you cannot do this on your own. The paralytic man couldn't get himself to Jesus, so his friends picked him up and they had property damage and lowered him down. Guys, I'm going to talk to you for just a second. I think women are so much better at fostering biblical friendships. You know what men talk about? The weather, sports, and barbecue. Why are we settling for so much less than what God desires for our friendships? And here's how, here's how I'm going to prove it to you. You know that sin that you've been struggling with? Maybe it's been a year, maybe 10 years. And every now and then you feel this conviction by the Holy Spirit. You're reading your Bible or you hear a sermon or you listen to a podcast or you go to a retreat and you go, you know what, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm giving it up. It's done. And you don't tell anybody about it. How's that going? Are you winning? You walking in victory? No. Because this faith is not a private faith. It's a faith that works itself out in community and accountability and mutual discipleship. You need to surround yourself with the people of God who will stop at nothing to get you closer to him. Let's keep going. So they lower him through. Look at this, verse five. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, faith is something you see, okay? A lot of times in the original languages, Greek and Hebrew, um, Hebrew for the Old Testament, Greek for the New Testament, when the word faith is utilized many times, not all the time, it appears as a verb. We got done with our by faith series, Hebrews chapter 11, and then going into 12, we finished that last week, and we looked at these just incredible heroes of the faith, and you go and you look at what they did, and it's an actionable thing. They had belief in God, they had faith in God, so they dot, dot, dot. These four men, they had faith that Jesus could do what he said he could do, and so they dug through a roof and lowered their friends in hopes that Jesus would heal. Jesus saw their faith. Faith is not solely a subscription to a set of theological standards. I think too often in the Western church, we have convinced ourselves that if we check the box right next to a few declarative statements, we have mislabeled that as Christianity. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying your faith is a works-based faith. No. The only thing we contributed to our salvation is the sin which makes it necessary. What I am saying is that a transformational walk with Jesus Christ will transform your lifestyle. 
it will inform the way you have conversations in the office. It will inform your goals with your friends. It will change the way you treat your waitress or waiter. It will alter the way you treat the barista. When Jesus sees their faith, I think too often we um, tout this cognitive ascent of theology as um, what faith should be, and, and that, that's not it. And there's no wonder that young people are leaving churches by the droves and the religious nun, N-O-N-E, is on the rise here in the United States and in Western civilization. Because faith is an internal trust and walk with Jesus Christ that produces an external response. When we live this out, that is when the heart of the city is transformed. He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. I, I, I wasn't in the room, but I'm sure there was a, a weird moment there. Because the most natural thing, the most kind of in-your-face elephant in the room, if you will, was the man's paralysis. And I'm sure he thought, here it comes. Here comes my healing. And Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. He goes straight to the deepest need of all humanity. That our sins, my sins, your sins, have separated us from a loving God that our inability and unwillingness to live by the law of the Lord and submit our lives fully to his authority, his reign, has separated us from the Lord. And Jesus comes and lives the perfect life and dies a sacrificial death and raises to defeat death and ascends to the right hand of God the Father so that we might inherit this eternal life and have no record of wrong. The Lord says that he separates our sin as far as from the east is from the west. Jesus looks down at this paralyzed man and goes, son, your sins are forgiven. And I have to speed up a little bit. Verse eight, immediately Jesus, I'm sorry, back to verse six. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but the Lord? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Son of Man is a messianic term that originates in the book of Daniel. It's Jesus' favorite name for himself most times throughout the gospel. And it is a, a messianic idea that this Messiah, this king, this um, seed from the line of David would come and he would um, correct all injustices, that he would bring up the oppressed and lower the oppressors, that he would restore all of the injustice or he would make right all of the injustice in the world and that he would usher in this idea called the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, I'm him. I'm him. And I have the authority to say, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus in Matthew 28 will go on to say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He rules and reigns over all things. And friends, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is concerned with your suffering 
and he's concerned with your healing and he has the authority to do something about it. He can reconcile you to God. In spite of ourselves, God can re- Jesus can reconcile us to God the Father. Verse 11, I tell you, Jesus is saying to the, the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. He has the authority. Jesus heals this paralyzed man. Jesus is the the most common um, word to describe Jesus' ministry while he was here on earth was that of authority. He healed with authority. He taught with authority. He performed miracles with authority. He commanded the created order, the storms, the waves with authority. There was never a time when a demon argued with Jesus. A demon said, you know, actually, I'm not going to do that. No, they even bowed to his authority. All things in heaven and on earth are under his authority. He rules and reigns all things. And the good news today is that he still rules and reigns. He can still heal you. Because I think too often we settle for hurt in our life, we settle for damage that has been done through circumstances or by people or by traumatic just life events and we say, well, this is the new normal. I guess I just gotta work around this or accept this as my fate. And we settle for something less than what God has for us. He says, my son, get up and walk. And so today, as we wrap up a few things, one, Get in community. You need to be serious about finding community. I know we think we're the exception. Everyone thinks they're the exception. I'm gonna do it, I'm good. I don't need that, it's just me and Jesus. You need community around you. The other thing is this God, this Jesus who rules and reigns over all things, he tells us that he knows the very number of hairs on your head that he cares for your deepest desires, that he cares for your healing. And so today we will continue to worship this Jesus and our just and right and natural response to authority is to submit our lives to him, to live with him as Lord over us. So let us go to him in prayer and then we will respond with Ferris, Lord Jesus, number 123. Lord, this morning we submit our lives to you. We stand in awe of who you are that you would call us sons and daughters of the Most High. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Thank you that you would consider us eligible to be used for your glory, for the building of your kingdom, that you have entrusted us with the ministry of reconciliation. And Lord, we love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.